Hello! You're caller number nine. You have won a fun fact. Mm, can I pass? No. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why would you ever turn down the incredible opportunity of a fun fact? All right. Fun fact. Hmm. The cost for operating the Colosseum in Rome hmm. was probably paid for with P. Uh, hmm. Okay. okay. <laughs> if I was to say 10, top 10 things that I thought that, that would fund a large venture like that, it wouldn't, that wouldn't break the you're top in, 10. You're in not there? No. Even honestly, yeah. top 50, I don't think it would have been. <laughs> I'd be going into the more obscure livestock oxen maybe yeah for sure yeah like uh, textiles yeah more obscure one one color incense myrrh 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 i don't I even know really what, myrrh understood what myrrh is yeah i don't really know what myrrh is <laughs> apparently it was a big deal big enough for a you know future king it's worth going so, through the desert for so that's right so so the Colosseum. everybody knows the Colosseum. it's in rome it's big it was uh incidentally it's been standing for like thousands of years most concrete buildings we build today will fall down in 50 years. Mm-hmm. That's impressive in its own right. But at any rate, it was built by the emperor Vespasian. And he was the emperor who came right after Nero. Maybe mm-hmm. you've heard of Nero. Mm-hmm. Nero, not not a great emperor. And so Nero had bankrupted the empire to the point that supposedly there was not a single silver piece left in the treasury. Oh. And to deal with this, Vespasian raised taxes. And for the most part, he actually taxed the very wealthy which is, you know, okay. Progressive. apparently they could, yeah, they could figure that out 2,000 years ago, but not, <laughs> not now. Yep. Uh, and, and he would even go as far as promoting rich people and then imprisoning them and then charging them fines for their freedom. Okay. I mean, yeah, it sounds like you got a good system going on. Yeah. There was some like phrase about how he would like soak them and then dry them. And anyway, okay, so, okay. but he also taxed public urination. So at the time, rich Romans would use public toilets. And poor Romans would pee in small pots and then empty them into public sewers. Oh, interesting. So, like, the nowadays, using a public toilet is, like, something you do under duress. Whereas at the time, because they could afford to make them maybe fancier. Yeah, and they didn't have plumbing, so it wouldn't right. make their houses smell. Right, everyone, right. I, oh, I see. I see. Because none of them are really nice. But if you would like the... The excrement and urine to not be in your house. That's like <laughs> I'll valuable. tell you from the pictures I've seen, Roman public toilets were there was not a lot of personal space. We'll mm-hmm. say. It's but like so the, trough the urine kind of situation. It's not a trough. It's actually really cool. It's like um, they're like just next to each other, and then there's like one sort of trough below that like goes down for everyone. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm looking at a picture here. You choose where you want to, and sit you got really. like the slots, and there's just there's no dividers. You know how some people will post the photos photos of like, can you believe how close these two yeah, toilets yeah, yeah. are? And it's like, no, this is like a toilet bench. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so the urine recipient would pay taxes. The urine and, recipient, yeah. So that's that's the interesting part, right? That's a phrase, huh? I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. So, it's not so not like the urine uh, provider. No, so the urine recipient would pay taxes and then process the urine for sale on the open market. Okay, you, you've got some explaining to do. Yeah, so just to put this in context, though, the first known public toilet in history was created by Vespasian in seventy four AD. So we're talking about this is all happening a very long time ago, right? So 
the so so why <laughs> what and why and how so okay so romans believed that urine was a good teeth whitening agent <laughs> and a good protection from cavities no they used it to make toothpaste by mixing it with like a mouthwash uh-huh. And just to make this worse, urine was an ingredient in toothpaste and mouthwash until, guess until when? Please tell me 500 years ago. Until the 1700s. No. So, okay, like, I uh, does it actually do anything? Does it help? Yes. Believe it or not, this worked. Okay, at least there's that. Oh, my God, man. Why? Because urine is high in ammonia. So urine was also used to clean laundry and to whiten wools and linens and to tan leathers. Well, tan leathers is less surprising. Whitening things. So it's like... It's the ammonia. Like with, oh, because they process the urine. So they're not using right. the urine directly. No. It's that they, you, they didn't have a chemical process to make ammonia. So right. they do whatever. They do something to the urine. To, so they make ammonia, which is, I'm sure, not 100% pure, but like slightly yeah. urine ammonia probably. And then they're yeah, using yeah, totally. the ammonia. The in, ammonia, yeah. In the yeah. Um, toothpaste. and, and yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sub All fun right. fact, by the way. Apparently at the time, the best slash most expensive urine was from Portugal. Supposedly the strongest in the world, and therefore the preferred one for teeth whitening. I mean, so like, does that just mean they don't drink enough water? I really, really wonder, Was were all the Portuguese just like chronically dehydrated? Because like my perception of strong urine is that, yeah, yeah, you got to drink a lot of water. Me too. Which I don't know if there was as much like, you got to drink this many liters a day. Yeah, I don't know like, if it was more the like... TikTok's what? telling you how to live a healthy lifestyle. But there also might have just been more minerals in their water, right? Yeah, or their, or their diet. I don't know what maybe. creates... We, we should mm. do... Someone should follow up with us on how... What makes urine high in ammonia. Mm-hmm. But so... So anyway, this all brings us back to the Colosseum. So apparently Titus, who was Vespasian's son and the next emperor, he showed up in Rome with a bunch of Jewish slaves from the Jewish-Roman War in Judea. Okay. And a bunch of stolen loot from the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And and he was riding high on his high horse with this, right? So he he arrogantly insulted his father's pea loot. Pea and loot as in the loot that was the pea that was stolen and it was the, a, yeah. the money that he was the, the money that he was ra- gaining from these Oh, I see. Yes, the the pea profits. Yeah. Yeah, and and exactly. And Vespasian famously grabbed a coin and held it under Titus's nose and asked if it smelled bad <laughs> and then said, and I'm going to butcher the Latin, pecunia non olet, which means the money doesn't stink. Right. Which is a proverb that is still used in Europe today to mean that, you know, it all spends, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Doesn't matter where you got it. But uh, uh, anyway, thousands of Jewish slaves probably built the Colosseum and tons of that stolen treasure paid for it. But it was unlikely that historians believe that there wasn't enough money even from that to pay for the, something that massive mm-hmm. and the rest was apparently all from the the toilet tax and as a as a final aside public toilets in france italy and romania are still often called vespasians oh interesting huh yeah that's yeah. a that's a interesting legacy yeah i don't know if i'd want to be the guy i don't know i mean it's i guess it's a public toilet like yeah. you know, it's I mean, the famous our space cities bo- could both use probably more. But, oh, I don't know as much oh, about where you live exactly now. But Berkeley's for sure. There's some parts I, of the Bay Area and lots of Vancouver that could use more. They could use them. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be. There's that famous Robin Hood men in tights, or maybe it's just famous to me. Joke that uh, that the John, the toilet was called a John for 
for King John, you know? Yeah, I don't but, know if that's... I do remember that from that movie. I don't actually know the origin of that. I have no idea if that's... Yeah, I have no idea if that's true or not. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so pee, what is it good for? Apparently whitening your teeth. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to decline on that. <laughs> You're going to pass? But what if it's so good? What if they're so white? I mean, like, I can imagine a world... Well, we talked in previously in uh, Ingesting Pee Corner, which is now apparently a recurring <laughs> theme of the show. We talked about the ISS space station. Yeah, um, that's right. They call it the ISS space station, which expands to International Space Station. Space yeah, that's station, which redundant. Is the full, the full um, name. But they, they process the urine and they make water and they had described it as, you know, okay you know yeah not the best water, water ever not the but best it's, water. it's drinkable yeah and um, i've always heard that you know you can drink your own pee because it's sterile i mean i believe you but generally I never heard don't that you want should. to do that like i don't yeah. know much about drinking your own pee but i'm pretty yeah. sure it's like uh, diminishing returns right yeah and also i'm pretty sure there's stuff that your body would rather not have in it that you're gonna put back in it if you're just gonna yeah because it, it just literally peed it out it was yeah. like i don't want this I want and you're like no 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 these. you do you know what this. i don't think i need any ammonia and you're like you know what you do need ammonia, ammonia. i'm just gonna put That's that back right. in you yeah um, just use it for tanning leather as god intended yeah i feel like things that can tan leather and things that you can drink is like not very overlapping <laughs> set or i don't know i don't know much about tanning maybe it is but i don't know anything about tanning leather if i'm honest uh i yeah i yeah but i don't know maybe there's a future fact there maybe yeah mm-hmm. i love it i also have a fact about pee are we sticking on pee corner no no that's a shame uh, but it kind of feels like it's of a time in terms of a time frame where ah, okay. maybe it, uh, history to, to a degree it, history in the roughly 2000 years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. Alan showing fact. up on my corner. Yeah. I don't know if I should be like offended. Like, a, you know, is this like a, like the wire? Should I be like, you know, that's You're, I'm on your corner. turf. Yeah. Well, let, yeah, you let me right. know whether or not you feel like this is too much on your turf, but I feel okay. like this is, this is the kind of thing that fascinates, fascinates me. Fun fact. The descriptions of angels in the Bible do not match modern depictions. For example, one kind of angel is described as being four flying interlocking wheels, each covered in eyes. Okay, so let's start. I have a lot. Okay, let's start with this. Uh, Whose Bible? Yes, absolutely. So I did not specify in my... (laughs) There are both a lot of variations of the Christian Bible, and there's also a lot of, of... There's a wide variety of Bibles. There's the Abrahamic religions and various. So what I'm talking about in this context is the Christian Bible. And I believe, although I'm not entirely sure, that uh, all the references and things I have in here really refer to what Christians would refer to as the Old Testament. Yeah, so the Jewish Bible. Yeah, the or the Hebrew Bible. But of course, like the, there are still some various... The Torah, one might say. Part of the Torah. Yes. Um, of course, in and this is now way of getting out of my wheelhouse and dangerously into your <laughs> wheelhouse. But as I understand it, in the there are other uh, Jewish writings outside of the Torah that then there also are. have a whole bunch to say about angels. But just look, talking about uh, the Christian Bible, um, and right? The part of the Jewish text that was appropriated by the Christians for their text. Yes, um, okay. and and to whatever degree the angels are referred to in the in the New Testament. In you go and you get the New International Version or whatever your King James Version, your to standardize yeah, the classic classic yeah. of American or Western 
uh, Christian Bible, you're going there and you're like, I'm going to learn about, I would like to use this text to understand how I should depict angels. Yeah. So you're saying that there are angels described in there that have no, uh, like that are not anthropomorphized as like pretty people with wings, but instead wheels covered in eyes. I am saying that and more. <laughs> okay. A more is exciting. If we think of the, the modern pop culture depiction of an angel, we have this idea of an attractive human, uh, you know, unfortunately, probably white in, based on the typical depiction of it for no particular good re- reason. Replacement theology. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but like it's stereotypically attractive human with two large white wings. That's what you, you, uh-huh. your d- typical depiction is. But in the Christian Bible, there there are a few different kinds of angels described. Um, and so let's look specifically at the ones that are described as having wings. And, and okay. Um, so first up, there are cherubs. Cherubs, yeah, those yeah. are, and you picture like little baby angels yes. who get people to love each a other. Little baby angel, and it maybe has wings and a little bow and arrow, maybe yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, so that's just Cupid, like the Roman god <laughs> Cupid. That, like when Christianity came along, it's like, oh yeah, we already had this like positive association with this character, and then it, this sort of idea of cherubs and this Cupid description kind of merged. Uh, but that's not what the Bible says the cherubs look like. Um, the the Christian Bible, the way it describes the book of Ezekiel is the one where cherubs are described. They describe a cherub as having four wings, hmm. four faces, and the four faces are a lion, an ox, a human, and an eagle. A lion, an ox, a human, and an eagle. I like that. Yeah, and apparently symbolic, like lion for like the animal kingdom, an ox for like yeah. domestic animals, human, and then eagle for like the bird kingdom i guess um and then the the they're also said to have the hooves of a bull polished like gleaming brass also very cool yeah so like way more cool than a little baby chubby baby way more cool yeah um but like a little bit less like maybe relatable does that make sense okay yeah perhaps i don't know it depends what depends how you you want to relate i relate to the (laughs) four-faced four-winged angel yeah, I was a big fan, you know, as a child, I was a big fan of the Transformers animated film. And there's this, like, creature that, that like, turns and it has faces on every side. Oh, yeah. It judges people on this one planet. So I, I can relate. Yeah, and I feel like the, the faces on every side definitely feels kind of judgy. I don't yeah. know why. If the creature has more faces, it feels more judgy to me. Um, so they, they are said to have wings, but four wings rather than two. Yeah. And and so that's the term. So th- that's not our a match for our sort of uh, stereotypical Western depiction of an angel. But there, no. uh, so let's continue down the list of, of angels that are described as having wings. The second are the seraphim. The seraphim, yes, indeed. And so the Isaiah is the part of the Christian Bible that describes them, um, and is they are described as having uh, six. Or they're described as being six winged beings that use their wings to cover their hands and faces. Cover their hands and faces. So they got two wings that they use to fly, and then additional pairs of wings that they use to cover themselves, I guess, I don't know, to keep a mystery of, or I'm not exactly sure on what the theological reason why they, they have the additional wings and why they cover. But again, these are like creatures that are very otherworldly. Yeah. Um, not yeah, like yeah, yeah. sort of a human with this variation, but it, they're, they're described uh, in this, this quite... Uh, as an as an aside, uh, in in various forms of what you might call Jewish mysticism, mm. there there are rankings of angels. Yeah, there are also Christian rankings of angels. And as far as I was gonna 
do a little research and then sort of mention the ranking, but I couldn't find any consistent source that agreed with any other source what the rank was supposed <laughs> well, to be. Yeah, for sure. Because like Maimonides, who's a, a fairly famous Jewish figure, uh, he was like a medieval philosopher. He put the the cherubim above the seraphim mm. by quite a bit, mm. quite a bit actually. But like the seraphim are like the top in other you know versions of this. So I mean, you know, at any rate, I definitely found rankings that had the cherubim both and the seraphim both like near the top and bottom, and the other yeah. way around near the bottom and top. Yeah, yeah, of totally. the ranking. So it's, I don't know, uh, but then when you like, when you, if you think of them as little babies with uh, uh, wings and a bow and arrow, then you're like, okay, well maybe they do belong on the bottom. But if you think of them as like these like mind blowing things with hooves and and stuff like that, then you're like, oh maybe they are more epic, <laughs> right? Um, so that's it. Those that's all the angels that are mentioned in the Bible as having wings. The cherub, the the cherubs and the seraphim. Yeah, that's all we got. And okay, as far as like, but there's a lot of other angels. There are a lot types. of other angels. But as far as I can find, all the other other mentions of angels don't have wings. Either they say or imply that the angels appear as normal people, like they okay. appear in human form, or they appear as mind-blowingly non-human. <laughs> um, and so the best example is the ones I mentioned at the the top of the fact. Yeah, the ophanim. The ophanim, and yeah. so these the angels that uh, are described as consisting of four floating gemstone-colored wheels covered in eyes which is very deep into this idea of like mind-blowingly otherworldly rather than this mm-hmm. relatable oh like they're among us it's like no these the the ophanim are not among us in any way right um yeah. i described the that description of the, of that the, oh these are these biblically accurate angels uh to Karen, to Karen my wife and she was skeptical it's like is that really what it says or is this like just something that you found on the internet um, and so, uh, I, so you pulled out your, you pulled out your Christian, I pulled Bible. out the Bible. And if you'll allow me, I'll briefly quote, uh, the, the description of, of what it says here, please. I would love to have you do that. You know. And so you can judge if that's an accurate description. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a barrel and barrel in this case is a gemstone, not the thing you put things in. Ah, okay. Good to know. They had, they four had one likeness and their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes around them for. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that's from Ezekiel. Yeah. I'm looking at a slightly different translation, but it, essentially the same. The the uh, the details are are pretty much the same. That's so cool. Yeah. So like a wheel intersect. I just looked it up because I wanted to be able to like follow along with what you're saying. So like so they sparkled like what would you say barrel? This says topaz. Yeah, topaz they, is a kind of barrel. They're a wheel intersecting a wheel, and they could go in any direction, and the wheels did not change direction as they went, and they were full of eyes. Yeah. That is uh. I don't remember, like, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time in synagogues as a mm-hmm. child, mm-hmm. and I don't remember these ofanim, or uh, sometimes they're called galgalim, which is just mm. the Hebrew for, sure. it's just the Hebrew for wheels. Right. Galgal is a wheel. My son says that, so ah, it's okay. cute. But anyway, um, yeah, that's, uh, that is, you know, <laughs> by the way, it says in the Wikipedia page for ofanim, in Catholic angelology, mm. and I just think that's a really fun word. Oh, yeah. 
angelology. Anyology so is good, but angelology is so. yeah. In Catholic angelology, they're one of the choirs or classes of angels, and are also called thrones, oh. which is a cool. But the apparently they're also called the the many eyed ones. This is like some serious like cool like you know high fantasy yeah like D and D Lovecraft D and D yeah that's awesome yeah and and to me like part of why I enjoy it is again this thing this idea of them obviously being otherworldly like not relatable is like clearly the the vibe right yeah yeah totally although I guess they were the wheels of the lord's heavenly heavenly chariot so and and they were also like maybe like protecting the throne of god and things there's other sort of context for it but but i just thought this was cool so we'll link the um we can link the verse if people care but the probably the more interesting thing is people's attempts at um like depicting depicting them yeah that's a fun thing to draw huh typically there's a there's a thing that has kind of happened over uh literary history if you want to call it that (laughs) that's awesome i just linked one and there's more in that link um, which I'll put in the show notes of of the things that people could write about, but that mm. um, artists struggled to convey or even like in any way convey. So it'd be like things from uh, like Lewis Carroll's stories, it, like the Alice in Wonderland, where they would yeah. describe things that were weird enough that you would see the illustrations from the 1800s and it would be like very like kind of almost like a kid drew it like they were kind of confused they're like yeah i guess and then there's the winks here and the eyes or whatever um so a lot of like contemporary or not contemporary but like from a thousand years ago attempts to draw these ophanim and stuff do feel kind of childish a little bit because it's kind of hard to really grip grapple with 3d wise what this description could even mean but then like modern artists uh are with more like photorealism and more grounding in the way light moves and and various reasons over time have gotten better at taking really really surreal descriptions of things and then finding compelling ways to try and visually represent them which i find is is interesting so i think for a follow-up project you need to find an invite for dali 2 or whatever and have it draw these Oh yeah, that sounds great. I, mean, I should get that's an invite awesome, for that, right? that Dolly yeah, you, generator. You should. You definitely. I'll also should. link for you this uh, webcomic, which is come. I think one of the first exposures I had to the idea of biblically accurate angels, um, which is the, titled "My Girlfriend Is an Angel." Um, so if you <laughs> want to check that out, you can. <laughs> that's I like. <laughs> What I like, <laughs> what I like is that the person is bleeding from their eyes at the end with because, joy. Yeah, well, obviously, yeah, but it would be so, the the it would be so overwhelming. Yeah, that you would, you know, you would just it would be like painful to look at. Yeah, but in like a positive, like the idea of it being painfully positive. Yeah, it's like just so mind blowingly, overwhelmingly, yeah, beautifully something. There's another yeah. similar comic which is like some somebody's. Uh, in a, a bar and they're like, it's just kind of like a sleazy looking guy and leans over, looks at someone and says, uh, Hey, did it hurt? You know, when you fell from, and then you like he, the camera turns and it's this like biblically accurate open him with all the wheels <laughs> and stuff like that. And then like it flicks back to him and he's like melting with like the just sheer power of awesomeness of this being. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just find, find that, uh, awesome. interesting and, um, just, uh, I like how it sort of table flips my expectations around what it is. Yeah. Angels. How did you, how did you stumble into this one? I'm, I'm pretty sure it was originally from these comics of people making oh, okay. references to biblically accurate that's, angels. And they were like, oh, and I'm like, well, obviously that's not really like, they must yeah. mean like, 
well, okay, in one version of a Bible, they sort of yeah, say something yeah, yeah. that could be interpreted this way. No, but no, I'm no. sure that there's like also like the angels with the two wings, like the yeah. But no, the angel with the two wings is not uh, not described. Yeah, in, uh, yeah. In the the, the Torah book. has some wild stuff in there. So there's a um, a theory, and of course, you end up getting pulled in. You're trying to do fact checking and go one layer below and understand what you're trying to say. So I hopefully try not to say anything that's like totally wrong um, mm. when I'm outside of something that is my personal expertise. And then I started getting into a little bit into like the historicity and the back mm. uh, theories from scholars as to how some of these various uh, characters and tales uh, were interwoven in through as they got passed and relating as different uh, traditions passed on. Yeah, to, you yeah, know, like the, sure. Like the example of the uh, depiction of Cupid from Roman things becoming part of the way that yeah, it gets depicted. Part of and there's just yeah, like a mm-hmm. hundred directions of that. And it's even more complicated in through um, like uh, ancient Hebrew uh, traditions and get things getting passed down through oral mm. traditions and all sorts of stuff. And it's like super interesting. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that came up in this description of the Ophanim, the wheeled uh, angel, um, that was it was such a surreal description that some of the scholars argue that uh, hallucinogenic substances were maybe be involved <laughs> in the uh, you know experiencing of having seen this vision um of the of the author of that of that part passage i thought was an interesting like a bold claim when you're like this is a religious text and people are like i'm pretty sure this guy was high <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man uh, like if you ever if you ever look into the dead sea scrolls mm. which are a specific set of very very old like um um set of books but part of it is like from this specific sect of judaism Mm. the qumrani jews and they they believed that there was this war between like the the sons of light and the sons of darkness and it's like it's just all like super cool like the you know like that there's all this like uh uh really cool like imagery and naming in there that isn't in any other, you know, books. Like it was specific to their belief system, their their like sect beliefs. Yeah, that's super cool. I'm deeply fascinated with all of the texts, the religious texts that were adjacent to the Abrahamic religions as they're now practiced today. They got they got left behind over the years, where it was like, oh well, yeah, we have what we think of uh, in Christian. Well, we think of, but what people think of it as a Christian Bible and it has these, however many books, 40 books or whatever it is. Um, but then there's like, Oh, well, here's the four books that were considered for inclusion and then, and then decided not to be included. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, and here's the book of Steve and it talks about some other stuff and you're like, Whoa, okay, well what's in that book? That's interesting to me too. I don't know. Yeah. So the, specifically this, the war of the sons of light against the sons of darkness contains an apocalyptic prophecy of a war like between the, the sons of light who are, Ooh, that's me cool oh. consisting of 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 my tribe well, actually all, both of the surviving tribes and then against these like amalekites and edomites and moabites and stuff like that and it's got like military strategy in it but also this oh, like wow. there's like all this it, it's it's pretty cool uh i would i would look into it and if you go to um the israeli museum in, in jerusalem it, there's like this shrine of the book wing which is like built to symbolize the scroll and then you can look at it in there like the, they it's, have the actual dead sea cool. scrolls in the museum uh-huh ah, cool. yeah hmm. yeah it's very cool awesome so believe it or not i have also a fact that relies on visual imagery that the audience won't already have <laughs> <laughs> okay excellent 
I love when there's a th- there's a thread through. That's right. It's exactly right. So, fun fact. Frogs evolved the ability to jump before they evolved the ability to land. As a consequence, some frogs are incredible jumpers and terrible landers. You know, I have seen a gif of this and it's amazing. Yeah, so I probably the one I'm going to send you is the one you've seen. Have you seen this one? Click on it and I will. Oh, go I think it. this actually might be different than the Okay, look at this. Just watch this one time uh, for <laughs> <laughs> It's like so what I'm looking at is this tiny frog and it like leaps up into the air like a frog would, but then it just like ragdolls. Like if you've ever played a game yeah, like physics. Uh, where like we physics where like when a character dies or like gets unconscious, then they just like become floppy and they just like blah, 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 then that's how it's landing yeah so this frog is called the pumpkin toadlet which coincidentally mm. is a frog but not a toad okay is it's a tiny like bug-sized frog yeah and it lives under fallen leaves in brazil and so that's why i guess it doesn't get hurt when because it's so well, small so, no so they actually evolved to have um armor Oh, so they evolved <laughs> they a, got a, armor instead of yeah landing. so what happened here is so so they're they're very very hard to find. And so they they were sort of like theorized for a long time. And eventually they found them and they they watched them jump and they were like, yeah, like you said, they just they jump and then it's just like the most ridiculous <laughs> like ragdoll physics like fun game ever. And so what what ended up happening with these frogs, because they did a lot of study and then there were a lot of theories, is that they they evolved to be small. That was the evolutionary advantage they went for. And they got so small that the chambers in their inner ears, which control balance, don't function well because they are not big enough to have enough fluid. Okay. And so they literally just don't have, like, any sense of balance. Oh, interesting. I mean, you know, these are vertebrates, like, the size of a bee. Yeah. And in order to make that work, they have to have, like, a lot of, like, they have to... Compromises. from their larger frog brethren. So, for one thing, instead of five digits, they have three, and they dry out a lot easier. Sure. But on the other hand, they don't need to eat very much. Like for this frog, an ant is like a huge meal. Oh, okay. And they, so they don't, they don't jump that often because, you know, reasons. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to <laughs> jump very often if I was this guy. Like they mostly just walk around or whatever. They use the jump probably as a way to get out of danger quickly. Sure. But they, they had to evolve. So first of all, they had to evolve that, that armor that I mentioned. And then also they're so small that like, they basically just don't have enough velocity to break their bones. Like they, they just get bruised a little bit, but they're like pretty much fine. Yeah. They don't seem to mind, but exactly. They just do it. And it's it's just watching. And there's another, there's another scroll down. There's more. It's just, it's (laughs) like, I could watch this, these gifts for so long. Because they're just like, so terrible. The first one is like ragdoll, but some of the lower ones, it's like it it goes into like the T pose, like yeah. all arms and all legs like rigid, and then it just like and it just stays kind of, that way. Yeah, it stays it just that way. Has no sense of like how to <laughs> recover. I mean, it really looks. If you didn't know they were fine, it really you'd looks be like, awful. You you'd be like this. There's this one frog, and it has it this jumps one once deformity, and it's like. <laughs> kills itself by jumping to its death or something like that but But no no. it's like this is a kind of frog and that's just kind of and and oh we didn't mention but the article title is why is this tiny frog so awful yeah i just absolutely love this it was so amazing and the article is actually really good it goes into a lot of lot of lot of details but like yeah it's just you just see that i mean whatever you're picturing in your mind really click on the link because it's it's pretty special 
That's awesome. Do you have anything to add to this, or is it more just like you all got to check out this this uh, frog that can't? Jump? No, you just got to look at it. It's 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 too great. I mean, I just find it really fascinating that um, that that evolution could work that way. So basically, all frogs are good at jumping mm-hmm. because they evolved that before they split off into all these different sub genuses. Oh, interesting. But, okay. Or I think all frogs are, and certainly the majority of frogs, but many frogs are just terrible at landing because that's just hmm. not where it went from there. <laughs> yeah, that's not the important, that's not the first step. No, which is like, you really think, like, I guess it makes sense, like the ability to jump. You can't evolve landing before you've evolved jumping. No, I guess. but you would think they would go kind of hand in hand because you would think like the early frogs that jumped that didn't know how to land would, would not make it. Not. And just not bother and just, just or, yeah. stop or whatever. But so like the yeah. fact that like this worked out to this level where they found mm-hmm. other solutions to that problem, but still didn't. I mean, I guess literally couldn't in the case of the pumpkin toad that couldn't work out how to land because of their size. But it's like it's just I find it. I don't know. There's just something magical and hilarious about it to me. So just wanted all to share right, that well, with we'll you definitely all. like that. Um. Uh, do, hmm, let me see. How can I connect that <laughs> fact to my last fact? Hmm. All right. So I have one last fact, and it is not related to that anyway. <laughs> I want you I all can't. to know that Alan tried. I tried. I there thought was about no it. transition to be had. Okay. So let's see if you tell it, and then I'll see if I can come okay, up with a transition. Okay. Here's the challenge for you find the relation from tiny jumping frog that doesn't know how to land yeah. to this fact. Okay. Um, so the, it's relatively well known or maybe not, but, uh, uh, I think it's for relatively well known that you're not supposed to flush Kleenex, uh, tissues, uh, down the toilet. Is that, hmm. no, do you know that? Do you know uh, that? I never occurred to me. So, okay. Well, fun fact, yeah. fun, bonus fun fact, pretty fun fact. Uh, you're not supposed to flush Kleenex down the toilet uh, okay. because it's made in such a way that it doesn't break down when it gets wet. Right. That makes sense. It's makes absorbent. It it's supposed to be good yeah. for you. Okay. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, so don't do that. Um, and th- I think that's relatively well known, but if you didn't know that, then I, I don't know, know if I knew it or not. I just didn't do it. So maybe I knew it and that, then I just stopped. Yeah. And then you just kind of have your habit. Yeah. Um, well, fun fact in many jurisdictions, you're also not supposed to put Kleenex in the compost, not because it won't break down, but because they don't want your gross germs. Oh yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, let's see. You put some your germy stuff in their pile of, some people know. lick toads. What? That's how that's how you're going to connect. <laughs> Some, Some people, lick, people toads, lick toads, and those people because, might get sick, and then maybe and, and then maybe though you don't want to put those kind of toads in compost because then the yeah I'm gonna the psychedelic psychotropics would then get into the food. I can't believe I didn't think of that segue. <laughs> um, okay, so, so you're not supposed to put your germy. That makes sense. So, but th- this is a, the, the the thing that I was kind of surprised by. But I guess I I've been learning this more and more of, over the last little while is that there's a lot of variation from city to city about what can be recycled and what can be composted, and especially what can be composted. Um, and this one about whether or not you're supposed to put Kleenex in the compost varies a lot from city by city. Okay. So I did a spot check for uh, four big cities. Okay. Um, it says no Kleenex in Seattle and Vancouver, Okay. but it's fine in Toronto and San Francisco. Uh, interesting. Which I thought was interesting to do a spot check for four cities and get 50-50. Yeah. Um, but then also stumbled across the nearby suburb of here in Vancouver of Coquitlam, um, which has a page about it where they say, yes, you can compost Kleenex unless you're sick, in which case, no, not only do they want you to put it in the garbage, they want you to double bag it. Okay, that's ridiculous. But also, 
if I'm not sick, what am I, what, how often do you use Kleenex when you're not sick? I would say it's pretty rare. Yeah. But you know. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I'm not sure if that's a super useful distinction to make. No. I think think the the bigger cities have realized just say no. Like double bag it. I can, I would guess that to a sort of a mathy first order approximation term thing that no one is doing that. Yeah. Basically no one is doing that. No one is doing that. Yeah. But if, you, if you're not sure about either your Kleenex or any other Bag it up. thing. Uh, no, don't like, put it in your compost. Well, first of all, who's were you putting your Kleenex in the compost? I was, yeah. Okay, I wasn't. You are just trashing it. I was just landfill for that. Just landfill for that. Because, well, first of all, landfill is a little misleading because, as you said, it breaks down. In the landfill. Right, but, like, that's not a bad thing if it goes well, away. Well, actually, so I, like, I'll back off a bit on that claim because... I was reading a bit about, like, trying to understand how much does it matter if you send organic stuff to the landfill? And my the sense I've gotten, it depends on the landfill, is that th- there's certain things that will break down in compost because they intentionally deal with it in a certain way that don't break down in landfill. Oh, interesting. Okay, so I would say that if if this is a situation where... It won't break down in the landfill, then that's unfortunate. But I would suspect that it does break down in the landfill because it breaks down its paper. I mean, it's, you know, it's like it feels very biodegradable to me. My guess is, yeah, probably. Um, I think that there's um, there's variations from landfill to landfill. There's variations from composting system to composting system. But some of the worst stuff in terms of will only compost under um, like high intensity industrial composting situations mm. are some of the containers that like have a little label that says compostable, mm. but it's like compostable asterisks in theory. If you <laughs> have this certain, you know, if the compost is gotten to 140 degrees Fahrenheit yeah. for at least six weeks or something like that under yeah. pressure. Yeah. Um, I mean, unfortunately, there's, uh, uh, you know, a lot of claims about recycling and composting and stuff are not really accurate in, at least in this country. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that I'm increasingly seeing is even when the claims are sometimes accurate, like this, you can compost Kleenex, it's only accurate in some cities. Yeah, that's right. Where it's like, oh, if you put this container into a, a compostable uh, or into a compost bin in this city, then it will end up actually getting composted in a facility that properly gets it turned into dirt and then in this city that same container uh somebody might see that container in the compost uh lot and then just landfill the whole compost lot because it yeah. has a container in it and they're like we don't know if the container is really compostable or not or that's we know right. that our facility won't handle it but that's right like you put stuff in the recycling and oftentimes it all ends up going in the um compost or in the the landfill because maybe there's you know like on your paper there's like food detritus or whatever whatever it is like there's something there's some reason why it ends up not being perfect enough i mean they do do a lot of sorting these days yeah but that's the other thing too is they often just put everything in the same place and then resort it themselves anyway so it's a little bit you know here i don't know what do you have in so here in berkeley i have four different cans i have to put out yeah we have uh i live in like a multifamily building so it'll take me a second to think about uh how many we have we have uh, garbage, compost, uh, glass, uh, containers, and paper. So we have five. 
Five. Wait, hold hold on. What are the five? At least five. Oh, well, actually, because of the, our building, we actually have more than that because we're a larger building. There's also one for styrofoam and clear plastics. So that's six, seven, or clear, like soft plastics. That you have to determine? Like, do you have to go out there and choose which one you're putting in here? Well, yeah, we bring our stuff down and we put it in the right bins. Wow. Okay. So I thought I thought I was uh, I had it bad, but that's a lot of dividing things up. Glass is relatively new, and it's not because it's going somewhere different. It's because what was happening is a peep glass when it would get um, like sorted and thrown into the truck and stuff, the glass would break down enough that it would just be like shards of glass intermixed with all the other bottles, and then it was difficult for them to extract that glass in a useful way. So now it's like shards of glass intermixed with other shards of glass, and then they can just melt it all down all as one. Yeah. So in Germany, where we were staying last year, there were different colors of glass that you had to separate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you had to put brown glass in one and clear glass in one and green glass in a different one. Not to like sound like overly privileged, but I feel like a robot could do that part for me. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I'll get the styrofoam separate it. from the, I, we don't actually get styrofoam anymore, but like I'll get the cardboard separate from the, the glass, but like, you know, just have a thing just could be like, okay, brown, clear, green. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, have you so, seen those those videos of the industrial processing things where there's like a whole bunch of like fruit all going off of a conveyor belt and then in slow motion yeah. you can see the things like rejecting the ones yeah, yeah. that aren't ripe or whatever? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, here in Berkeley we have um tra- like landfill, paper, uh bottles, you know, plastic and bottles and compost, but in Oakland the the paper plastic one was combined. Maybe all recyclables were combined. Yeah, when I was a kid, it was that way. It was all recyclables combined. Yeah. And in New okay. York, as far as I could tell, it's just literally just put your garbage in the street and just... Put it in the street. Just, yeah, like just literally put it in, in the bag. Street. And then like maybe it gets picked up. Yeah, maybe it sits here forever. I think actually there was a garbage strike one of the times I was there, so it was particularly bad. But I've been in there in the summer as well, where it's particularly bad. It's like they have yeah. no alleys, so there's nowhere to put the garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just ends up the no, it's the no alleys problem. Everywhere. That's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, so so we have we have a small piece of follow-up this time. Oh, yeah. All right, let's yeah. do it. I've been tending to let follow-up accumulate for months, and that's not, that's not the right way to do it. People... Uh, I imagine like getting some response within like one to two months instead of like six months later. It's like, oh yeah, if well, you still so, listen to the show. <laughs> so you, we mentioned on the last episode as you were doing your pill fact mm-hmm. that my father is an immunologist and you yes. suggested that you were now terrified that he would correct you on something that you said. Oh no. Uh, he did not correct you on something that you said. He, in fact, corrected me on something I said, but to, to, told me that it wasn't worth correcting on the show. So what he did want to share is that in addition to the reasons you mentioned for some pills changing, there's also some pills that that change to be bigger because the people had trouble picking them up. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to, I told him I would throw that out there, that in addition to the marketing-related reasons you mentioned... And the efficacy, you know, uh, delusions that sometimes they changed for actual quite practical reasons. Yeah, <laughs> that, that I figured that was probably the case. And I'm glad to hear an e- example of pill ergonomics. <laughs> That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. But I also had that reminds me of um, I don't think I mentioned in a previous show. Uh, we had a couple episodes ago. Uh, I was talking about uh, volcano uh, yeah. mm-hmm. facts. I've shared a volcano fact. 
Um, and then I was terrified to learn that we had a volcanologist listen to the show <laughs> and listen to the fact. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, uh, um, but uh, she gave a thumbs up to the information. Yay! So. Good job, us. Thank you, Kirsten, for fact-checking our volcanology. And if yeah. we get any of Volcano Facts incorrect in the future, or any other fact, but especially Volcano Facts. Yeah, then and thank you know. to my father, who clarified what his exact role was in the development of Aleve, and it was relatively similar to what I said, but with minor differences. Relatively similar to the truth, but with minor differences. The fun fact no. brand. <laughs> <laughs> 